electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the crypto economy. One big listing for Coinbase, one giant leap for crypto kind. It's honestly a remarkable sight to see. Largest direct listing ever. Coinbase co-founder and CEO Brian Armstrong on a watershed moment. Hopefully Coinbase going public and having its direct listing is going to be viewed as kind of a landmark moment for the crypto space where hey, this technology is here to stay. What Coinbase actually is, why it matters, and where we can all go with crypto. People no longer need to be scared of it like in the early days. Now there's so many legitimate use cases and this is a regulated financial service business. I think the focus is going to be more in the future about how can we really leverage this opportunity to create more jobs, more economic growth, more economic freedom. And what exactly can crypto do? Will it replace money? You know, you could make an analogy. It's like we have paper mail in the U.S., but we also have email. And some people, when email first came out, they thought, hey, email's going to completely replace paper mail. Well, that didn't turn out to be the case. We end up having both. In fact, there's more paper mail sent today than it was 10 years ago. It's Thursday, April 15th, 2021. Squawk Pod's special Cracking Coinbase episode begins right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today on the podcast, Coinbase goes public. The cryptocurrency exchange debuted yesterday via direct listing on the NASDAQ, the first direct listing there, and it was a big one. It's honestly a remarkable sight to see largest direct listing ever, largest company that is you know, exposed to the crypto space to go public, uh, and a, a remarkable first day of trading for Coinbase here. In its first day of trading, Coinbase's market cap at one point exceeded $100 billion, so around the same size as Citigroup or Honeywell, and way larger than the likes of Starbucks, for example. It closed the day down 14% from its opening price, with its market cap sitting at nearly $86 billion. So for some perspective, that's larger than the New York Stock Exchange's parent company and three times larger than the NASDAQ itself. It'll go down in history next to Facebook and Airbnb as one of the largest tech debuts ever. The hoopla around a a massive new $100 billion listing from a crypto company. This could be a watershed moment for crypto, but why? Well, for one, Coinbase's debut makes direct link between the capital markets and the crypto Crypto economy. economy. It has an app, easy to use, with a straightforward interface, not too scary for newcomers. It's what some are hoping is crypto's flood to the mainstream. Before it gets there, here, really, to the mainstream, 
let's cover the basics. Cryptocurrency is a virtual currency built using blockchain technology, a ledger or database that records transactions across a decentralized network of devices. I know, rolls right off the tongue. Now, no single computer is trusted with all this information. If you're making payments on MasterCard or PayPal, money is changing hands electronically, like with crypto. But PayPal payments are, one, tied to the value of the U.S. dollar or some other fiat currency, the pound, the euro, and two, they're owned and operated by a single actor. Instead, crypto uses its own store of value. Could be Bitcoin, could be other currencies, Ethereum, Dogecoin, whatever your style. And crypto transactions are happening on thousands of computers around the world, a peer-to-peer system. Millions of people are betting on crypto. It's an ecosystem, the crypto Crypto economy, economy. worth well over a trillion dollars, two trillion by some estimates. Here's famed tech investor Ron Conway, an early investor in Google, Square, Airbnb, and naturally, Coinbase. The crypto economy is in its infancy. So the crypto economy is the next multi-trillion dollar opportunity in innovation. Just so you know, blockchain technology is useful way beyond payment systems. People are using it for voting tech, supply chains, and much more. Coinbase lists over 50 different cryptocurrencies for buying, selling, holding, and trading. Although most of the transactions on the platform involve the purchase of the two most popular cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, which you've heard about, and Ethereum, the company serves over 56 million customers around the world. That customer base was considerably smaller at the end of 2020, so there's increasing interest in the space. Coinbase co-founders Brian Armstrong and Fred Ursum met on Reddit and started the platform in 2012 as a way to simplify the purchase of Bitcoin. One of their earliest investors was a co-founder of Reddit, now venture capitalist Alexis Ohanian. Even back in 2012, there was a very clear indication of what looked almost like a religion, uh, a kind of devotion to some bigger ideals, some bigger purpose, and, and some pretty smart technologists building you know, building infrastructure, talking about the potential for this, and then backing it up with work. And you you combine those things and uh, you invest in the right founders. And oftentimes, you know, good stuff happens. Stuff happens. In terms of exposure and legitimacy, Coinbase's huge debut is a moment. And the listing of a crypto exchange also shows you the reality that crypto is an investable asset class. So if Ripple and Dogecoin and Ethereum and NFTs aren't your style, you can still participate in the crypto Crypto economy economy. through Coinbase. Larry Fink, CEO of the world's largest money manager, BlackRock, weighed in on our TV broadcast. I don't believe we should think about crypto as a substitute of currency, but I am fascinated by it as an asset class. But all assets come with risks. Not unlike a currency exchange, Coinbase makes most of its revenue, 96%, from transaction fees, which means its value is tied to the swings in the notoriously volatile crypto market. In the first quarter of 2021, as Bitcoin surged, Coinbase's revenue was almost $2 billion. In 2019, a down year for crypto, the company lost $31 million. Another risk, regulation, especially by lawmakers that may not, according to the crypto community, fully understand the technology and its scope. Just last month, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen expressed a bearish attitude toward the entire space. I don't think that Bitcoin, I've said this before, is widely used as a transaction mechanism. To the extent it's used, I fear it's often for illicit finance. It's an extremely inefficient way of conducting transactions. 
To get to the bottom of the crypto economy and the future of money, Andrew Ross Sorkin sat down for a Zoom with Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong. You know, Brian, I, I remember meeting you back in 2013. You started Coinbase in 2012 and you were trying to convince me of the virtues of cryptocurrency. I was probably a bit too skeptical uh, back then. But if, we had, if I had asked you back then whether you thought we would be where we are today, whether you and Coinbase would be where we are today at this milestone moment, what do you think you would have said? You know, I, I always hoped that we would have a moment like this. Um, and I didn't know for sure if we would ever get here. There's a lot of ways that startups can die or that things can mess up. Um, but through, you know, some skill and luck and all the amazing kind of customers and employees and investors who came together, um, by some chance we are here today. So, um, you know, I feel very grateful for that. And it's been an amazing journey. Has it surprised you how much traction crypto has gotten during this pandemic period? I mean, when you look at the timeline of the life of Coinbase and, and the success of crypto and look at the milestones along the way, this being one of them, where do you peg the pandemic? Hmm. Well, you know, as you know, there's been lots of crypto cycles. And so this is not new in that regard, although every time there is a crypto cycle, it's at a new level, a new order of magnitude. And so every time it's it's different and exciting. Um, you know, one thing I always like to tell people is that it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems in crypto. So it's true that over the past um, six months or so, there's been a, a resurgence of, of interest. And there's all these exciting things we can talk about, you know, with DeFi and NFTs and, and stable coins, um, which are sort of drawing a lot of interest right now. But at Coinbase, we always try to think of the long term. Um, and I always try to encourage our employees and our, and our investors to think about that is, you know, we're going to manage and grow this business very deliberately over many crypto cycles. So I try not to get too caught up in um, the latest hype or the price. Um, I also try not to get too down when people lose interest in crypto because, you know, fundamentally, I'm excited about this technology for its potential to create more economic freedom in the world. And I know that's going to be a long, long term uh, mission for us. So dare I ask um, if it's never too good and, and never as bad, or if it's never as good as it looks and never as bad as it looks, where do you think we are in this cycle? <laughs> well, you know, I always try to avoid predicting these things because um, it's just so easy to look silly trying to predict the future. And it's kind of like asking, you know, where's the S&P 500 going to be next month? Maybe a little less volatile, but nobody could tell you that either. And the S&P 500 has, some, has had some pretty volatile times in its past as well. So, you know, it's anybody's guess. I, I wouldn't be one to try to venture a, a guess there. Um, again, we're more focused on the long term. How do we get crypto to be useful for more and more things in the world? How can we um, help the crypto economy get off the ground? And so really that early focus for crypto that's gotten a lot of people into it has been around trading. And a big, a big part of that is obviously the price of crypto. But that's just the early phase of crypto. And we're now seeing people, you know, use crypto for um, creating new kinds of financial services, like more efficient ways to do um, borrowing and lending or earning a living or doing payments for various goods and services or even remittances. Um, and then, of course, I think in the future, crypto is going to be used for even more things. It's actually going to be even like an app platform where people are going to build new kinds of social media apps or identity or games. So, you know, whether the price is kind of up or down this month or quarter, um, yes, it does have an effect on our financials, but we try to manage for the long term through these cycles and, and not pay too much attention to it. 
I don't know if you remember saying this, uh, but you're quoted in the book King of Crypto saying, I always had this thought. I wish I was born a bit sooner and that you were worried that actually the Internet cycle, you might have missed it based on uh, when you were born. Given where we are with crypto, though, do you still wish that you were born sooner? (laughs) Well, I think no matter when people are born, there's there's some kind of an opportunity. And um, what's exciting about technology to me is that the pace of innovation just keeps happening faster and faster. And so I think there'll be even more opportunities in the future. I think as a kid, I saw the Internet really start to be used globally. And I was so excited about that. And I thought, wow, maybe those kind of things don't happen very often. Maybe that's the one in my lifetime. And I started to build my career and try to building some companies in, in the Internet space. Um, but luckily, another thing kind of like that happened uh, when I read the first uh, Bitcoin white paper, you know, the, the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper that came out in 2008. Well, I, I read it in 2010. But um, at that time, I, that was the thought that I had in my head. I was like, wow, this might be kind of like the Internet. But instead of removing information around, this is removing value around. And my head kind of started spinning with all the different implications of what that might be. So I guess... I guess I feel very lucky that another technology breakthrough like that with that kind of level of impact as the Internet happened, I guess, twice in my lifetime. What do you make of the fact that there's so much interest in crypto, but your listing arguably is actually creating even more interest in crypto? You're looking at the prices of things like Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies actually go up, I think, now in tandem um, or in line with this this offering, if you will. Mm. Yeah, well, it's always hard to tell what is moving crypto prices, but um, I do think that, you know, Coinbase has hopefully helped um, the industry uh, move forward and help bring the future, you know, in sooner. So it happens sooner. And that we've done that with legitimizing crypto, following a trusted and regulated approach, uh, hopefully making it even easier to use in some ways. And, you know, by the way, it's not just it's not just us. There's a whole industry with a lot of amazing companies um, building and growing this space. That's why we call it the crypto economy. It's, it truly is a new economy. It has um, now you know, hundreds and thousands of companies being created in this space. So I think the, you know, hopefully Coinbase going public and having its direct listing is going to be viewed as kind of a landmark moment for the crypto space where, hey, this, this technology is here to stay. It's creating a ton of value in the world. Um, people no longer need to be scared of it like in the early days and they were concerned about all these things. Now there's so many legitimate use cases and this is a regulated financial service business. Um, I think the focus is going to be more in the future about how can we really leverage this opportunity to create more jobs, more economic growth, more economic freedom uh, for people in every country in the world that embraces this. How do you, though, think about the long term business And what I imagine are going to be lots and lots of cycles. We've seen where we are today, but we've also seen crypto winters, if you will. Yeah, well, Coinbase has had a lot of experience going through these. We've been through um, probably four of them now. And so what we generally do is when things are going really well, you know, we're profitable. We will um, put money on the balance sheet and um, sometimes raise in those environments when things are not going well, we're okay burning a little bit of cash and actually, um, you know, investing when others are fearful. Because again, we have that long-term point of view. And so we've gone through enough of these where if there's more crypto cycles in the future, and and there may be, 
Um, I think Coinbase is well positioned just from a mentality and a balance sheet point of view to, to weather any kind of a cycle like that. For the investor class that's watching us right now, how should they think about the valuation of Coinbase relative to the valuation of Bitcoin and how tied you think they may or may not be? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Over the years, people always asked me, um, well, should I invest in Coinbase or should I just buy the underlying asset? And I would always tell them, well, first of all, why not do both? Both are great ideas. But I can make the case for why, you know, people might want to invest in Coinbase, too, which is that we're kind of um, not only are we we're not tied to one particular crypto asset. We're, we're, we're adding support for over 100 crypto assets now, and there'll be more and more in the future. Um, and, you know, we're also kind of uh, what you might call an indexed bet or a levered bet on the crypto space more broadly, because we're kind of we're selling picks and shovels. You know, we're helping people access and use this new technology. So I think. We're going to grow along with the crypto space, but if we keep growing share, um, then we'll sort of be an addition of, of that on top of just the price of crypto, hopefully. One of the other big questions I think investors have when it comes to valuation is whether they should compare you to a, a broker or an exchange. Your valuation, by the way, is effectively the same now as the New York Stock Exchange. Um, or they should think of you as a fintech company, more in line with a PayPal or a square in terms of multiple? How do you think about it? Yeah, so this is one of those companies where it's tough to come up with an exact comparable. Um, you know, it's kind of like saying, is Tesla a car company? Well, yes, but it's also kind of a software company, right? Um, or you could come up with any example, you know, is Amazon a retailer, sort of, but it's also a software company. And so, you know, Coinbase is, it's, it's technology, it's software, it's cybersecurity, um, it also has aspects of financial services with um, compliance and, and legal and various licenses that we've gotten. And so you could say, OK, well, that's finance and technology. That's fintech. And I think there's some truth to that. But it's actually kind of different because most fintech companies are really um, building, you know, I would say kind of like the UX layer on top of all the same underlying rails, whether that's um, ACH transfers or SWIFT or wire transfers or credit cards. And so a lot of their services look similar. They can they can innovate in the UX layer, but they're all the pricing and the speed at which transactions move and everything is kind of similar because it's underneath. We're kind of really, you can think of us as the first fintech that's kind of like vertically integrated. We own the customer relationship all the way down to integrating with the underlying rails themselves. And of course, these are brand new rails uh, the cryptocurrency blockchains out there that are inherently global, um, you know, they're, they're cross-border, they're allowing kind of transaction confirmation times to come down, they're allowing fees to come down, at least, you know, when things are working well, and we need to keep scaling blockchains. So the building on these new rails is kind of a really cool opportunity to create a new type of company, um, a crypto company. It's really kind of a new category. We're seeing a lot more institutions, obviously, now buying in uh, to cryptocurrencies, whether they be uh, large companies, Tesla obviously being the biggest, but we're also starting to see hedge funds. Uh, Dan Loeb, uh, ha you have custody uh, of uh, some of the uh, some some of Dan Loeb's uh, crypto. Speak to sort of how you think that. What does that look like? You know, even two or three years out in terms of the mix between retail and institutional, and what kind of competition do you think you're going to get from Wall Street in that regard? So we've been really excited to see the institutional business grow, and people have seen now in our S1 and in our first earnings call. Um, some of the exciting numbers there. So 
Uh, we're storing over $200 billion uh, of crypto, which is about 11% um, of all the crypto in the world. And about half of that is actually from our institutional customers. Also, about, roughly about half of our trading volume is from our institutional customers. And this business is a lot newer for us than our retail business. Um, the institutional business is only about uh, two years old. And we're still earlier in our process of monetizing that customer segment. But, you know, just kind of zooming out from a macro point of view, I think the majority of money in the world is actually tied up in institutions. I think it's maybe 80 or 90 percent. Um, and so we expect that business to be really big over time. Um, having that kind of foundation of a trusted and compliant platform is really essential for that. And, and just to the last part of your question about, you know, how, how do we expect other uh, firms out there in Wall Street or otherwise um, to respond? I mean, what's great is that many of them are now getting into crypto, which is what we had always hoped because we want crypto to be integrated into every aspect of the financial system. Um, I think some of them are going to build those solutions in-house, and we may have opportunities to actually power some of those underlying solutions, whether it's custody or trading, um, for the, some of those other firms as well. Because, of course, it is a really hard technology problem. How do you integrate with these blockchains? How do you store right. cryptocurrencies securely? Um, it's a very different problem than, say, using the DTCC to store um, securities. So um, that gives you a little bit of a picture about how the institutional space might evolve over time. How well understood do you think the crypto world is by the likes of Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who's been critical of crypto, or our Fed Chairman uh, Jay Powell? Yeah, so look, in general, the, crypto is a very new space and people are working to get up to speed on it in, in every way. I think one of the big things that's not well known out there yet today, um, there's still some folks that are in this mindset of, hey, this must be mostly used for illicit transactions. And um, I always kind of cringe a little bit when I see that because, frankly, it just doesn't match the data underneath. Um, if you look at the block, third-party blockchain analytics firms and, um, you know, there was a report kind of published today by the Crypto Council for Innovation um, that looked at this. Uh, you know, our best estimates are that less than 1% of all transactions in crypto are for illicit purposes. And by the way, um, in the traditional economy, certainly with cash, it's PwC estimates it's as high as 4% is for illicit transactions. And in the broader economy, it could be anywhere from 2 to 4%. So, um, you know, the data we have just indicates that crypto is really not uniquely crime-ridden. In fact, it's the data suggests it's better than, uh, than cash um, in that regard. So these are the kinds of conversations that we need to increasingly go have with our partners in government. And I think we just want to be a helpful resource um, to you know, talk to them about this new emerging technology and what are the opportunities it's going to create. That's honestly, it's far more interesting to look at the opportunities while also, you right. know, being very thoughtful about mitigating any risks. In terms, though, of, of risks, real risks, even existential risks to the business, where does regulation lie to you in terms of how regulators think about cryptocurrency? Yeah, so I think it's one of the biggest ones. It's right up there with cybersecurity. Um, it's the couple and the couple biggest ones that I think about. And Especially now that Coinbase is a public company, um, we're going to increasingly be having scrutiny about what we're doing and people want to understand the implications of it. And so um, we're very happy to engage just as we have been over the last 10, you know, nine years, really, since um, since the start of the company with everybody in um, in D.C. and really lawmakers, policy folks around the world, because, of course, of course, Coinbase is in many different countries now um, about how we can most thoughtfully build this industry and this company. Um as I mentioned earlier, this is a regulated financial service business today. So um, we're very 
excited and happy to play by the rules. And we uh, basically we just ask that, hey, let's we want to be treated on a level playing field right. with traditional financial services at the very least and not have any kind of um, punishment for being in the crypto space. Right. Uh, but aside from that, we're happy to be a regulated financial service business. But, but what do you make of the, the argument that governments around the world at the end of the day are going to want to control their own fiat currency and that they that there's a view that that some governments at some point may decide that if they believe cryptocurrency, if it hasn't uh, reached escape velocity already, uh, that they're going to need to prevent it from doing so. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a big topic for discussion. Um, a lot of central banks around the world, by the way, now are looking at um, creating central bank digital currencies. Right. And we're we're supportive of those efforts and we're happy to help uh, governments around the world who want to create those as well. But, you know, I think, again, I'll make an analogy to kind of back to the Internet. Right. There were I think when the Internet first came out, a lot of governments were a little nervous about it. They were sort of asking, um, hey, does this kind of uh, prevent us from having control over how communication happens? And um, some countries, you know, China most famously created the Great Firewall of China and really tried to clamp down on it. Um, they also, by the way, have really strict currency controls. But most places in the free world, they embraced the Internet after some trepidation. And it turned out to be a really huge advantage for the companies. Uh, sorry, for the country because of all the new companies that got created there, some of the largest companies in the world now. And I think the same thing is going to happen with cryptocurrency. Um, you know, you could make an analogy. It's like we have paper mail in the U.S., but we also have email. And some people, when email first came out, they thought, hey, email's going to completely replace paper mail. Well, that didn't turn out to be the case. Um, we end up having both. In fact, there's more paper mail sent today than it was 10 years ago. And so I think the crypto economy is largely going to be seen as a complementary uh, thing to the traditional economy. And, you know, governments that embrace it are going to stand to benefit from it enormously, along with all of their citizens. Well, let, let me ask you, though, how concerned are you that the U.S. is not embracing it necessarily as fast as I imagine you may want? Actually, uh, the U.S. has been embracing it to a, to a large degree. I've been very happy with it. Um, we're happy being a U.S. company. And, um, you know, certainly there's been instances where we feel like we've had to move more slowly there's some products that we haven't been able to launch because um, that our foreign, say, unregulated uh, competitors have been able to launch. But I understand there's very reasonable arguments for consumer protection. And again, all we want to do is just have a level playing field. I'm sure you saw these comments, but I'm curious what you thought. And this relates to China. Peter Thiel had some pretty interesting uh, remarks uh, last week saying, even though, and I'm quoting him, even though I'm sort of a pro-crypto uh, Bitcoin maximalist person, I do wonder if at this point Bitcoin should also be thought of in part as Chinese, a, a Chinese financial weapon against the U.S., he says, where it threatens fiat money, but especially threatens the U.S. dollar and China wants to do things to weaken it. What was your reaction to that? Yeah, so obviously I can't speculate what was in Peter's mind when he said that. But when I saw it, what I assumed he meant um, is, I think, actually a good point, which is that China has really embraced cryptocurrency and blockchain in a big way, um, starting from about six years ago or so. They made it one of their primary initiatives. And they actually, China has a central bank digital currency that is live out there in China. People are actually using it. Um, they're substantially far ahead. Um, and I think this is an important point that many in, in uh, the U.S. government have not fully internalized. Um, the U.S. government should also have a central bank digital currency based on the dollar. Uh, and I believe other countries around the world should as well. In fact, every major country is probably going to have a central bank digital currency in the near future, is my prediction. 
Um, but in fact, you know, in the U.S., by the way, we already have uh, things that are very close to this, like uh, USD coin is a is a backed by a, one, a dollar one to one in a U.S. bank account. It's uh, created by a consortium of companies, and this is an example of the kind of thing that the U.S. government could basically just put its support behind that and say, okay, USD, USD coin is also legal tender because all the, all the dollars are actually there backed in a U.S. dollar bank account. Um, and so the, the Fed kind of already has control of it. But if they wanted to create their own novel one, that would also be fine. And I, I think that's kind of what Peter Thiel was pointing to, which is, hey, we need to make sure that the U.S. remains competitive um, and doesn't lose its reserve currency status. And China has a very interesting strategy right now by moving quickly into central bank digital currencies. The U.S. should have a strategy for that. Okay, maybe a fun question, and it's a little adjacent. What do you think of the whole NFT craze (laughs) that's taking place right now? Yeah, well, NFTs, uh, for anybody who's not familiar, stands for non-fungible tokens, and it's basically a unique digital item. So it could be um, a piece of art. It could be a song that was created by a musician. It could even be, like at Coinbase, we've made some unique NFTs we've given to the employees in kind of commemoration of our direct listing. Um, But what do I think about it? Well, it's kind of having a moment right now. So there's a lot of NFT craze happening um, and something like this, by the way, is happening in crypto. It seems like every six months there's some kind of new innovation. So I think this is going to be like the Internet where there's like or fashion. There's sort of like a new trend that happens um, periodically. And NFTs is the most recent one. But generally, I'm, th- I'm a fan of NFTs. I think um, it's really cool that it's making making it possible for artists to get paid. It's making it possible for them to have a more direct uh, relationship with their fans and their and their customers because um, some of the contracts that artists go through is, is not really the best economics for them. Um, and actually, just in a small way, I've been playing in the NFT space. Just last weekend, I uh, released a song that I created along with this um, artist who's the true talent, the, um, this electronic music uh, producer. So we put out a song and, and sold it as an NFT, just kind of as a fun way for me to learn it. But generally, I'm a fan, and it's one of many exciting things happening in the crypto economy. Brian, uh, I want to wish you uh, a lot of luck. Uh, it's been uh, great to follow uh, your success over all these years. Uh, I, I, I will admit I have been uh, not, not skeptical about Coinbase, but I was a, a crypto skeptic. And uh, boy, have you proven me wrong. So uh, good luck to you. Well, can't blame me for that. There was a, this was not an intuitive thing. I think a lot of people looked at it and kind of scratched their head. And um, Bitcoin has really survived the test of time at this point, And it's a very exciting industry. So I've always enjoyed our conversations. Um, Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate the time. Squawk Pod. We'll be right back. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. The UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Please subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. And if Apple Podcasts is your platform of choice, leave us a rating or write a review. Tell us what you think. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This 
podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.